0: Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. We've been off for a few weeks, but we're bringing you today a special year-end mailbag episode. Stephanie, how are you in Oklahoma?
1: Yeah, doing good here in Oklahoma. We are enjoying uh, true Oklahoma weather. We had it uh, 75 degrees a couple days ago, and today it was in the 30s. So,
0: <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't feel like Christmas week. It's been no. fifty five here in Colorado and we oh, we need snow very badly. So if you're praying for weather events, we could use some moisture out here because <laughs> this is the time of year when we are supposed to get it and we're not there and you're at not this getting point. It. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. so it's not gonna be a white Christmas. It's gonna be a brown Christmas. Right. And, uh,
1: <laughs> we'll celebrate Jesus' birth either way, right? Right, right. <laughs>
0: and it'll look more like the Holy Land actually at that's this time right. of year. <laughs> So, but we have Keith Boyette with us, president of the Wesleyan Covenant Association. Keith, how is it in Virginia?
2: It was 20 degrees this morning, so I'm surprised that we were the cold spot amongst this group.
0: Right, me too.
2: (laughs) But no, we're having a brown Christmas as well. I I don't think there's any chance for any precipitation.
0: Well, we wanted to drop this episode in case some of you were out traveling and taking long road trips for this Christmas. I know that didn't happen a lot last Christmas, so we wanted to give you some things to ponder as you're driving or if you're out for a walk or you're trying to get out of the house away from your family and want to get out for a walk (laughs) and listen to all things WCA. We've got a mailbag episode with a ton of questions that have been popping up over the last several months. Some of this may sound familiar, but I think it's going to be helpful Uh, for our listeners to dive into some of these questions, because we need to talk about this over and over and over again. And if you are listening to this and you say, well, I'm kind of familiar with where things are, then this is a great opportunity to pass this episode on to someone else who may not know all of what's happening. So let's begin with General Conference. Will the General Conference be held from August 29th to September 6th, 2022. Keith Boyette, your definitive answer is?
2: That is the big question, isn't it? And um, <laughs> if I, I could be a rich man by taking bets on this question, but I wouldn't be a good Methodist. Um, <laughs> right. So So yes, that is the dates for General Conference. Yes, the Commission on General Conference met November the 18th and uh, gave direction to the staff to continue their preparations for general conference um, unabated no delay no no holding back Uh, and yet they acknowledged that there were uncertainties still on the horizon and they would have to meet again to give a definitive answer to that so we still We're in go mode, but it's like T minus 30 seconds. We'll do another check at T minus 20 seconds. And we won't know for sure until the countdown is underway. Um, You know, there's there's so many uncertainties. I've tried to put this into context. Many of the uncertainties exist every quadrennium. I mean, something can happen globally before any of our general conferences that could adversely impact the ability of, of delegates to travel. Um, there can be uh, war and famine and rumors of war, I suppose, uh, but those usually don't cause us to postpone or cancel general conference. Everybody knows that it's the coronavirus, the pandemic that has impacted us, and if, if there's anything that's become obvious, uh, there, there's, there's no way to predict the course of this virus. Uh, it mutates, and so a few weeks ago, we were perhaps feeling very optimistic with the course of things, the way vaccines were going, and then the Omicron variant shows up, and nobody knows how that is actually going to impact things. Um, uh, the, even the experts say anecdotal evidence says certain things, but we don't have definitive studies yet. So that's the big unknown in the, in the room. Um, but, but there are things that, um, that we do know could impact a general conference, and that would include immunizations, the, the level of immunization for delegates, um, delegates' ability to get visas, issues like that. Uh, and so that's why the commission, the commission on General Conference is likely to, to meet sometime in January, late, the latter half of January. They'll do another um, check on where things are. They may make a decision then, or they may make a, wait until the end of the first quarter, like uh, March timeframe. Uh, but I would ex- anticipate that by the end of March, we will have a go or no go decision on General Conference. How's that for a long answer?
1: <laughs> I think that's a great answer, Keith. And I'm curious <laughs> if is there anything that's being done to to enhance the likelihood that General Conference will happen? You mentioned, of course, immunizations and things like that. But is there anything being done uh, here in the states to help our brothers and sisters overseas? Anything to enhance that likelihood?
2: Well, um, I have I have had conversations with a number of people in both of those areas. One would hope that uh, the United Methodist Church would undertake ensuring that delegates receive the proper immunizations in order to be able to come. The travel restrictions require um, persons entering the United States to have to be fully vaccinated with COVID-19 vaccines, Um, but it does not appear based upon the conversations and and emails that I have sent that the United Methodist Church is affirmatively doing anything to ensure that delegates from outside the United States are being vaccinated. So uh, the Wesleyan Covenant Association in partnership with others across the church has undertaken to ensure that every delegate outside the United States is vaccinated. Um, We have done a survey and determined that in many areas, vaccines are currently available. They're always available without cost. Um, and, And that's pretty much true globally. Now, in some countries, the immunization clinics are only located in large cities. And where that's the case, especially in some parts, say, of Africa, um, the logistical hurdle of a delegate getting from a remote village or town to a major city uh, is financially beyond their reach. So what we are doing is providing the necessary funds for delegates to make those trips in order to get both vaccinations. And We have already begun that process Um, in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Funds have been provided in all four of the uh, Episcopal areas so that every delegate will be able to travel from their remote community to a major city and receive two doses of the vaccine and that that will be done in time. Um, We we hope it'll be done uh, within the next couple of months. Uh, but well before general conference. And if boosters are needed, we will see that that happens. Now, I said we're doing that in partnership with others. We have uh, invited the uh, Commission on General Conference, the Council of Bishops, and the General Board of Global Ministries to participate in this. To date, they have not responded. We have invited uh, UMC Next, the leading centrist group, and Reconciling Ministries Network, and the Liberation Methodist Connection, and UM, UM Ford, um, progressive groups, to participate. To date, we have not received a favorable response from them. Um, we are offering this. Um, we have received a uh, willingness to participate from... Um, other theologically conservative groups like Good News and the Confessing Movement and IRDUM Action. Uh, we're making these resources available to every delegate without exception, and we do not require any indication of where they might vote on any issue before a general conference in order to uh, for them to be able to receive the vaccines. We see this as a, uh, a matter of essential necessity for the well-being of our church, and we hope—I hope—before this is over, that these other groups that I've named will step up to the table and join us in this, so that it would be a, a true mark of unity. Um, so that's number one, and that's huge, I believe. Uh, number two is visas. Uh, we have—we've been in touch with uh, the relevant government officials who have said that they are prepared to work with the United Methodist Church with us uh, in ensuring that our delegates get visa interviews. The process is they apply for a visa, and then they have to have a visa interview, and then a visa is issued. Uh, And often the problem is that visa interviews can be hard to get. Well, uh, we've received assurances from governmental officials here in the U.S., that they will work with us to ensure that visa interviews are made available to delegates as soon as they apply. So with those two things we believe that we will have addressed the major impediments to general conference other than something un- unexpected like a variant that shuts down the entire world. So we need to pray hard <laughs> that there will not be
1: another variant like that. <laughs> Amen that.
0: And I also assume that you know, you'd be happy to receive donations for people who want to support this project as well.
2: Correct. We will be uh, uh, releasing a story the first week of January uh, through our outlook that will help people understand how they can make contributions toward this. Um, Others who are participating in this funding will also be receiving contributions and we'll pool our resources uh, to to fund this initiative.
0: All right, so I'm going to put on my pessimist hat because mm-hmm. you know the definition of a pessimist is an optimist with experience. <laughs> <laughs> and we have lots of experience. <laughs> yes. So what happens if General Conference is not held?
2: Well, I think that will be a very difficult time for the United Methodist Church at every level. The most common word I hear in circles around the church today is that we are stuck. And that is something that a word that is used by uh, persons across the theological spectrum, uh, those who uh, want to see the church change its, its teachings and its uh, way of operating or feel stuck, as well as those who desire to uphold our historic teachings and positions. Um, we don't know whether the general conference the commission on general conference would further postpone general conference or cancel it. We don't know if, um, if it is further postponed, whether it would be for a brief period of time or a longer period of time. So there's many uncertainties in that. Um, and, and the response that would come to that, to, the, to a postponement or a cancellation in part is dependent upon what the nature of that postponement or cancellation is. You may recall that this time last year, we were in the same position. We were waiting for a decision on whether General Conference would be held in August, September of 2021. What we did as the WCA, we we reached out to our regional leaders. We did a survey in which we asked our regional leaders to give us their counsel and guidance uh, on, on what, what should occur under various scenarios. Uh, we, we are doing the same thing this year. We wanna hear from our grassroots, from our leaders in every one of the regional uh, chapters, the, the pulse, the sense of their chapters of, of what needs to occur our intention is uh, we've done contingency planning. We're ready to to move ahead. We're ready to hold the hold the course. We're not going to announce what we're going to do until that contingency occurs. It's not strategically um, uh, uh, the best strategy to to say what we would do under those scenarios. But we're prepared, and we'll be having conversations. That once we get that survey information, we'll be having conversations with the WCA Global Council, with the Transitional Leadership Council, and making a decision about whether uh, we need to move ahead in launching the Global Methodist Church. Um, There's a whole lot more that plays into that, Um, but no one wants to see this uh, stuckness elongated. None of us are prepared for that, and I believe the pressure on the church at every level is growing uh, for something to happen. That's why I think, though there may be risk associated with it, I think the commission needs to make the decision to move ahead with general conference, and we need to do our best to ensure that every delegate has input in whatever way we can to achieve it. I have great concern for the future of the United Methodist Church if General Conference is further postponed or canceled.
1: So if the um, General Conference is postponed and and then you saying you're not ready to make a determination on what exactly WCA and GMC will do. Are you able to kind of update us on the preparations for the launch of the GMC? What's happening behind the scenes that our listeners may not be fully aware of in regards to that?
2: Yeah. Well, the, the, the legal work, all of the machinery of being able to launch the church is already, I mean, I've used this analogy for months that it's like you build the house and you go to closing, and you're given the key, and you walk in, and you turn on the power, the light switch next to the front door, and the lights come on. We're, we're at that point. I mean, we're ready for the closing, and <laughs> unlock the door and turn on the lights. Um, so that work is ready. That includes mundane things, but not so mundane things like you know getting tax-exempt status, 501c3. All of that is is ready. Um, as, as most folks are aware, our Transitional Leadership Council has been meeting now for uh, over a year. I mean, it's all coming up on two years, really. Uh, and and so the work on the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline has been largely completed. Um, we are in the midst of uh, concluding conversations with West Path on Uh, a retirement plan for the Global Methodist Church, and a health insurance plan. So that is very close to being in place. Um, The uh, transitional commissions that will um, outline the ministry for the new denomination will likely be appointed in the first couple of months of 2022. So they'll be stood up and operating. Um, and, and as soon as the decision to launch is made, we will be ready to receive a clergy and churches who would align with us. Some of those are clergy and churches that are not United Methodist at this time. They're, they may have already disaffiliated. They may have launched and not been launched as part of the United Methodist Church, but they're Methodist. Um, we've even had churches in some other Methodist related bodies approach us about joining. So there would be some that would immediately, and, and then the others disaffiliated or otherwise would likely begin to join. And so we have a system set up for that to occur as well.
0: So we're, we don't know exactly when we're going to launch, and there's an interim period here that has gotten longer and longer and has left a lot of churches and clergy thinking, well, why not just get out now? And some have done that. Some have have made that decision to do so. What's the counsel of the WCA on whether a local church should proceed with disaffiliation or closure in this season? What have we been telling people about that i know what i've had these conversations with folks i know stephanie has and certainly keith you've had more than more than your fair share of these conversations (laughs) what what are you telling people about that at this point
2: yeah our, our consistent counsel has been not to disaffiliate not to use other mechanisms to depart from the united methodist church in this season um there are all kinds of issues with that, including the cost that is associated with a departure in this season. Now, that cost uh, fluctuates depending on annual conference. By the way, how you get out is easier in some annual conferences and significantly more different in other annual conferences. Um, but but uh, the cost is significant. And if you if you depart now, you're really stepping into a independent kind of world where you are not connected with anybody. Uh, And there's all kinds of issues associated with being an independent church. So our council, and and by the way, the the other aspect of this is the process of disaffiliation is not immediate. It takes time. And Given that we are where we are leading up to General Conference, uh, our counsel has been stay the course. Let's pray that General Conference will meet. They'll make the decision. The protocol will be in place. Your church won't have to pay significant sums to the United Methodist Church to depart at that point. You'll have the typical legal cost associated with retitling and that sort of thing but your financial costs will be minimal and you can move into another connectional body. Um, And and thus far, the number of churches that have actually disaffiliated is fairly insignificant. I think um, in the 2021 uh, or the 2020 annual conference year, there were, there was about a hundred churches that um, disaffiliated out of about two 32,000 United Methodist churches In the most in the this conference year, it was somewhere around 200 to 250 churches. But I but I anticipate that if um, if there is a, a further postponement or a continuation of the general conference, that the pressure for churches to disaffiliate use a closure mechanism or some other mechanism to depart the United Methodist Church, the pressure to do that will increase. And that's why we've been exploring some alternatives um, for that time. Mm -hmm.
1: Can you elaborate a little bit on those alternatives or some other ways that a church might withdraw from the UMC to align with the GMC?
2: Sure. Probably the most prominent way that has been explored is under what's known as paragraph 2548.2 of the discipline. So all of you discipline nerds, go grab your discipline and read 2548.2. But basically what that provision provides is that a, a church can uh, withdraw from the United Methodist Church and align with another evangelical denomination um, for, for more than a year, conversations at varying levels have been ongoing um, involving 2548.2 and trying to find a way for that to be a comprehensive solution that would be made widely available in the event that the protocol is delayed uh, in being adopted. Um, significant progress has been made, but uh, we're not there yet. And it will still likely be an annual conference by annual conference decision because what has to happen is under 2548.2, uh, the annual conference enters into an agreement with that church that withdraws and the denomination that will receive it uh, in order to, to for them to make that move. And so it has to be done at every annual conference. But what we've been working for is a comprehensive understanding of how that would be done so that there would be little variation annual conference to annual conference. And um, we've also been exploring the, the fact that the global Methodist church would be that other evangelical denomination. So uh, that, that has a pretty high likelihood of being a process that would be pursued particularly if there is a further postponement or cancellation of general
0: conference. So the bottom line is no one has joined the Global Methodist Church yet at this point, correct?
2: That's right. Every day we get inquiries from (laughs) clergy and from churches (laughs) and from individuals calling, where is the nearest Global Methodist Church that I can attend? (laughs) So there is high demand but low supply at this point. <laughs> <laughs> We'd like to be in that position, but um, <laughs> but we're not at this point for all host of reasons. So,
0: well, one of the things that would get us there is if General Conference is actually held, and the protocol comes up. So now we're going to ask you to prognosticate again, Keith. <laughs> what is the <laughs> likelihood of the protocol being adopted at General Conference in 2022? I, don't, I, I don't, believe we give you I odds. Believe, I don't know how you want to do this. Do you, <laughs> what's the line? What's well, the current line on that? I have put together
2: my fantasy general conference and <laughs> if I've chosen the right players, no, uh, seriously, um, uh, we, we, I, I personally, and we are, are, are optimistic about the protocol being adopted. Uh, really little has changed. Uh, But since the protocol was announced, uh, the the various um, advocacy groups across the theological spectrum unanimously endorsed the protocol. None of them have um, have changed that position. Um, They have issued uh, further statements of being in favor of the protocol. Our analysis of the delegates elected to General Conference is that Uh, The votes are there um, for the adoption of the protocol. We fully expect it to be debated. We fully expect that um, delegates will propose amendments. Um, I I believe the protocol will be substantially adopted as it was uh, crafted and proposed. And the reality is the church really doesn't have another alternative than adopt the protocol or face the kind of conflict and dysfunction that we experienced at the 2019 General Conference and the continued conflict that we are experiencing in the church even now.
1: So you mentioned earlier that uh, what might happen if the protocol is not adopted and some other avenues that WCA is, uh, is exploring and GMC is exploring. So tell us if the protocol is adopted, can you go dive a little further into those logistics when it comes to church and clergy decisions, annual conference decisions, uh, churches and clergy aligning with the GMC? Tell us a little bit about that process.
2: Sure. Um, I expect that most people have uh, probably forgotten the process outlined in the protocol. But, but uh, once the protocol is adopted, churches can immediately begin to move toward making decisions here in the United States. Outside the United States, they have to wait for their central conference to make a decision, their annual conference to make a decision, and then local churches can make a decision But here in the United States, local churches don't have to wait for an annual conference decision, so they can begin the process. And I would anticipate that uh, churches could move through that decision-making process as quickly as six to eight months after the protocol, six to eight weeks after the protocol is adopted, Um, uh, and and they could vote and take the vote to align with the Global Methodist Church and. Certainly, at the outside, within six months, they could have completed the separation process and the alignment process with, um, with the Global Methodist Church. Clergy decisions are much quicker. Um, obviously, they don't have to have a vote except in their own conscience. <laughs> and um, and uh, so, I expect, though, that many clergy who are serving churches will likely make their decision corresponding with the church that they serve. Uh, The process will be very simple for them to align with the Global Methodist Church. Annual conferences will have to wait either to the next regularly scheduled annual conference or to a specially called annual conference to take the vote as to whether they will align with the Global Methodist Church. Now, I'm aware that some annual conferences have already talked about or set in place a procedure that will result in a special annual conference occurring not too long after the general conference concludes. But um, you're looking at anywhere from two months to perhaps eight months before annual conferences would make their decision. Um, Then then as as, uh, I would expect most of our listeners are aware, the uh, WCA has uh, Add a, per, a person to our staff, our Vice President for uh, Clergy and Church Relations, Angela Pleasants, who I believe w- was on an earlier podcast, and she has, uh, is set putting in place the actual steps that a person would go through, churches and clergy, to complete their alignment with the Global Methodist Church. We want to make this as seamless as possible Now, there'll be some churches and and clergy that may wait longer periods of time, um, maybe even up to four years after they have the option to do this. But we expect that there'll be a significant number of churches and clergy that will want to move more quickly.
0: So when we think about that timeline, protocol passes, churches can begin, and clergy and others can begin to think about going into, what's the timeline for the Global Methodist Church then, in terms of the transitional period and then the convening conference? How will annual conferences be organized? There's a lot of interim stuff that that has to be put in place as well. So can you give us a, a snapshot of what that looks like?
2: Sure. Um, as most uh, people perhaps are aware, uh, we have put in place a an interim leadership body called the Transitional Leadership Council. They have been stewards for this process of of getting us off the ground, but not making the kinds of decisions that tie the the Global Methodist Church's hands. Uh, And so they they will uh, continue to provide leadership during a transitional period that will basically run from the launch of the Global Methodist Church until at the convening conference, which we anticipate would be a 12 to 18-month period. We want to give enough period time for as many churches as possible and annual conferences, both here in the United States and overseas, to make the decision to align and then to be able to, be, to have delegate representation at the convening general conference. That's the reason for the transitional period. During that period, we'll operate under the Transitional Book of Doctrines and Discipline that has been released by the Global Methodist Church that is on its website, globalmethodist.org. That is a transitional document. It will All of it will be up for consideration at the Convening General Conference, uh, and a, a, a Book of Doctrines and Discipline would be adopted at the Convening General Conference. It may bear significant relationship to the transitional book, but there'll be provisions that will be different. Nothing is so put in stone and concrete that it's already been decided, but we want people to have a sense of who we are. That's why we have this transitional book of doctrines and discipline. The process of bringing people together and organizing uh, this, this is what wakes me up in the middle of the night and gives me nightmares. You know, how do you you have people joining at different times, uh, in different numbers, in different places, and, and so it's going to be a kind of a fluid period. Uh, there'll be some areas that there'll be great certainty with. If an annual conference votes to come as a whole, well, that makes it really easy, but um, Bob, I'm not sure about Mountain Sky. I don't think you guys are going to vote to come as a whole.
0: <laughs> I can say with great confidence. <laughs> you, you don't have to. Uh, that will be the case.
2: Data. Yes. Right. <laughs> but, but, you know, say Oklahoma, I mean, you know. Yes. It, it might, it might it, not. Who knows? That's
1: so true. And Keith, that kind of brings me to just a question that's a little off script. I mean, I'll be in okay. this closure there, but uh, because we trust your advice so much, I know that there are a lot of pastors wrestling with this idea of whether or not uh, if the protocol passes, do they go ahead and encourage their church to take the vote? Like you said, churches in the United States can go ahead and vote right away or do they wait for their annual conference to vote? And and you gave a great example with Bob in his conference. He he's sure that they're not going to vote to go with. So his church, you know, may go ahead and choose to take the vote on their own quickly. But they may you know, have
2: already done it, I don't right?
1: Know. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But in a place like Oklahoma, and I know there's other conferences too, where we're just not really sure how the conference is going to go. How, what do you advise pastors at that point and about yeah. when to vote?
2: Well, um, here, I mean, part of the decision here is there There are many churches and many pastors that don't want to have to take a vote. They, they don't want this issue to be worked out in their congregation. They would much rather the the conference make a decision and they hope it will align with their interests. And so they're going to hold off for that practical reason. Um, there are other churches where they have been waiting for you know, two plus years now, more longer than that. (laughs) And, you know, they don't want to wait another day and they're likely to go ahead. Mm -hmm. It's the churches that are in between those two extremes that have the dilemma. I think uh, if I were leading one of those churches, I would first have a heart to heart uh, conversation with um, leadership in my annual conference and get a feel for, number one, are they going to make a run for their annual conference? And there's all kinds of considerations there. Um, Do you want to inherit the structure of the annual conference, the liabilities of the annual conference, the staffing of the annual conference, the organization of the annual conference, the, the connectional funding of that annual conference and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, um, So, so. Do they want to make a run for it because they think it will, it will be in their best interest and they think that will be uh, easier for the greater number of churches? Mm-hmm. If the annual conference leadership is going to make that run and, and they, they, they have a, a level of confidence that they might prevail, mm-hmm. then I probably would urge the church I was leading or participating in leaning to, to work with that plan. Um, because we could still have a vote afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, um, I guess another thing is how soon will that vote occur? If it's going to be not for a a year or more, then maybe we don't want to wait that long. Um, if the annual conference leadership is uncertain about whether they want to make the play, then obviously if you really feel like you want to join the Global Methodist Church, you would move ahead. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's a, it's a nuanced thing. There's lots of, of, forks on that decision tree, things to take into account. But the, but the key thing I would say is, I don't think it, it you cannot put engaging this off any longer. Mm-hmm. I mean, this may be on your doorstep in eight months, okay? Uh, we hope it is on your doorstep yeah. in eight months. So now is the time as a leader in a church to be getting all your ducks in a row, Um, And in fact, we're, um, uh, we have retained the services of a marketing firm and a public relations firm, and we will begin rolling out resources in the new year for use by um, local churches, by annual conferences um, to inform their, their membership of, of what is on the horizon. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we, you know, this is the time, especially at the leadership level, lay leadership level, to begin. Um, you know, to begin informing your leadership, getting them to pray about it, um, um, talking to key influencers in your congregation, um, making these kinds of strategic decisions. Let me let me go back to one thing though about the organization of annual conferences. We got we took a we went off from when I talked about Bob's annual conference, <laughs> <laughs> and that led to some great questions, Stephanie. I should not have brought up Bob's annual conference, but but anyway, um, you know churches like Bob's and and others, and where where the annual conference is not going to come. I mean, I can see us potentially organizing these churches into what I'll call provisional annual conferences that may change some over the course of the transitional period. Um, um, We're going to have to be somewhat flexible in that period. Uh, I, I think by the time we get to the convening general conference, we will have a better idea of what annual conferences will look like. And by the way, You know, we're anticipating the convening general conference will likely be about 18 months, no sooner than 12 months, but likely 18 months after we launch. Um, So we have a season where some things will be shaking out, but that will also be a season where we won't be speculating about when we can make these decisions and I've found that that gives us great clarity on issues when we're not dealing with hypotheticals anymore. May we be there very soon. Uh, you know, in law school, we dealt with hypotheticals all the time. I thought when I graduated from law school, I'd never have to deal with a hypothetical again, but um, I'm ready for us to move on. I, you know, I, I, I think, we're, I sense that we're maybe we're coming to the end of uh, our time together. I want to just take a moment to uh, to really say how much I appreciate uh, Bob and Stephanie and the job they have done. Um, I, Bob, you probably can tell us, Stephanie, you may be able to tell us how many episodes we've done. I've lost count, but uh, people have, um, I constantly hear what a blessing these podcasts are, and the two of you have just done an exceptional job of asking the important questions and giving voice to people's hopes and dreams. And so thank you for the gift you've given our movement through Holy Conversations, uh, the podcast.
0: Well, you caught me off guard because I hadn't looked it up recently, but I think, (laughs) I think we're over 40 episodes at this point. And last I checked, last I checked, we were over 51,000 downloads. Um, so we've, we've been reaching a a significant audience and, and, and I think, you know, this has been a, an opportunity for us to, to have more conversation about some of the things are being put out because there are articles coming out all the time. And, uh, the, the WCA team has done a great job of putting out information, but this gives us a chance to talk about it a little bit more. And as we get into the new year and into season three, Uh, We'll be talking more about some of these things as we get closer to general conference. And and I wanted to respond to something you said, Keith. I think, you know, for local churches, particularly in our context where we know where the annual conference is going to go or not go, I, I still think it's important for you to not make assumptions. And what we've done at our church is to create a task force of laity from different perspectives and said to them, know, we want to have a series of town hall meetings where we're giving people all the information they need to think about so that when and if the vote comes, there'll be an opportunity for people to say, I made an informed decision. Mm -hmm. So I've really tried to work hard at that and not push my congregation one way or another. And to say, we really want to make sure you are fully informed and you're not being manipulated in this process. So if you're interested in learning more about that, feel free to email us at the, at the uh, podcast, podcast at wesleyandcovenant.org. I'd be happy to share with you some of the stuff that we've done, and I know there are other churches that were working on this. We were well down the road on that in 2020 before COVID hit, even to the point at which we were going to have one of my progressive friends come so that we could do not a debate, but really to talk about what our vision of the future looked like. And I think that could be a really fruitful conversation for people to have in the midst of this. So yeah, you can't, you can't ignore what's on your doorstep because there are good things that could come to your doorstep and other things that might come in a flaming paper bag. You never know. So you got to be mindful of all those things and be prepared for, for what's coming up next. Any last words, Keith, for, for us or Stephanie before we wrap?
2: Well, of course, I'd like to just uh, wish our audience a a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. This will drop sometime in this season of Mm -hmm. of, uh, Christmas and New Year's. And um, I'm grateful that in in the midst of the time-bound things that we focus on, we know what our eternity is like. We know what God has prepared for us. Mm -hmm. And it is that in which uh, we have our faith and trust. And we know the one who holds the future. Mm -hmm. that, um, you know, God securely holds that future for us. Um, And so I'm so grateful for pastors and lay people who are earnestly seeking to share the good news of Jesus Christ in their communities every day, bringing life and hope to those who've been far from God. Thank you to our listeners uh, for that. Mm
1: And Keith, we just want to say a warm thank you to you as well. You have led us in such an amazing way. You certainly are a leader appointed by God for this time and for this purpose. And we're so grateful to you and thank you for your kind words earlier as well. And I just want to wish you and everyone else a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.
0: Same from here. And we as always, we want to hear from you. You can email us at podcast at wesleyandcovenant.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at wca pod, and find all the information you need to find at wesleyandcovenant.org. That's the WCA website. Lots of great information there. We do wish you happy holiday season, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and a great launch to 2022. We'll see you here in season three, coming up soon on Holy Conversations, the podcast of the Wesleyan Covenant Association.